welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio on this live broadcast from Studio 14 this Friday, February 2nd, 2024. Residents in the South Sudanese capital, Juba, hope the recently installed CCTV cameras in the city will improve security and reduce crimes. I see these cameras will help in many things. It helps with accidents and even criminal activities. And humanitarian organizations warn of a looming hunger in Sudan amid the ongoing nine-month-long conflict. Unfettered access, access across lines of conflict, and uh, without that, we are not able to have the freedom of movement to transport essential and vital life-saving assistance to people who are trapped in these conflict hotspots. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Residents in South Sudan's capital, Juba, say the recently installed closed-circuit television cameras in the city will help improve security and reduce crime. The South Sudan National Police Service says the CCTV cameras will help police catch criminal suspects. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayar reports from Juba. South Sudan's Interior Ministry installed surveillance cameras on the streets of Juba on Tuesday. Viga Robert, a resident of the capital, praises the move, saying the cameras will reduce crime. I see these cameras will help in many things. It helps with accidents and even criminal activities. There are many things that happen without people seeing, and I hope the government will also ensure freedom of people are respected in terms of privacy. Emmanuel Taban, another Juba resident and a motorcycle or border border driver, says the surveillance cameras will help uncover hidden criminal activity. Camera CCTV is very important because it can trace out, uh, like, in case if you are having uh, things to do with insecurity, it can help mostly like if something to do with the criminal issues, if it happens in a hidden place, it can show out. If you fail to identify the person, always if you fail to get the passions, you can trace it through CCTV, it can show out the passions, it can help really. If possible, let all the roads to be connected with CCTV such that it can help uh, to trace out, uh, it can even prevent criminal issues in the town. South Sudan President Salva Kiir initiated a program using surveillance drones and 150 cameras in 2017 in 11 different locations of Juba. Angelina Teng, the interior minister, has a warning for would-be criminals. Right now, everybody in Juba should know that whatever you are doing, we are worshiping it. Don't think you will do a crime in darkness and escape without being arrested. If you do something, you will be traced up to your home. These cameras will cover the whole of Juba County and we hope to extend it to many places and even states. Juba, a fast-growing city in the East African country, is known in recent years for the killings by unknown gunmen, motorcycle robberies and bag snatchings. Minister Tenge is calling on Juba residents who are involved in crime to think of legal ways to survive. So, 
So it is important for you from today to, to put aside the work of crime and see other important work for you and your family. And if you are not married, do something that will help you avoid conflicts with the law because you will be arrested. Our purpose is one peace for the civilians and their properties so that people are free to do whatever they want to do. South Sudan is preferring to hold its first elections in December later this year. Teng says the government is prepared to offer services to all people in the country to ensure peaceful elections. For VOA News, I'm Anyang David Mayor in Juba. The World Food Programme is calling for immediate, unimpeded and safe access to conflict-hit areas of Sudan to provide humanitarian food to millions of displaced people facing acute hunger after other organizations said aid is being held up at the border. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The UN's Food Agency reports Sudan's escalating conflict is taking an unimaginable toll on civilians. It calls the situation beyond dire, noting that almost 18 million people are facing acute hunger. Despite Herculean efforts, the World Food Program says it only has managed to provide food aid to 6.5 million people across the country. This since war between the Sudanese armed forces and paramilitary rapid support forces broke out on April 15th. Speaking from the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, WFP's Sudan spokesperson, Lenny Kinsley, says her agency only has been able to provide one-third of Sudan's hungry people with the help they need. She says millions of civilians trapped in conflict zones must receive aid immediately to prevent Sudan's looming hunger crisis from becoming a hunger catastrophe. Shockingly, the number of hungry has more than doubled from a year ago and an estimated 5 million people are experiencing emergency levels of hunger, or IPC Phase 4 on the Integrated Phase Classification Scale. Especially affected are conflict areas such as Khartoum, Darfur, and Kinsley says WFP currently can only deliver food assistance to one in 10 people facing emergency levels of hunger in Sudan. She says WFP is unable to assist 90% of the country's hungriest people trapped in conflict hotspots. She says humanitarian convoys must be allowed to safely cross the front lines so these destitute people can receive the aid they so desperately need. Every single one of our trucks needs to be on the road each and every day delivering food to the Sudanese people who are traumatized and overwhelmed after nine months of this horrific conflict. Yet life-saving assistance is not reaching those who need it the most. And we are already starting to receive reports of people dying of starvation. Kinsley says WFP has ramped up life-saving assistance in response to Sudan's deepening crisis. However, she says it is becoming nearly impossible for WFP and other agencies to cross the front lines to deliver that aid because of security threats, ongoing fighting and enforced roadblocks. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Still on Sudan, the U.S. has implored Sudanese authorities to let aid into the country, denouncing holdups 
at the border as the war between the country's rival generals leaves millions in need of emergency food aid. Samantha Power, administrator of the U.S. Agency for International Development, says funding for Sudan's crisis remains shockingly low, with about 25 million people, or more than half of the population, in need of assistance. Power says permits to deliver aid are continually denied by both the Sudanese army and the rapid support forces. Lenny Kinzel, the World Food Program representative on Sudan, says staffers on the ground confirm that food aid is being held up at the border, including at the Port Sudan. She says VOS, she tells VOS Carol Van Dam the first thing people need right now is access to humanitarian assistance. Unfettered access, access across lines of conflict. And uh, without that, we are not able to have the freedom of movement to transport essential and vital life-saving assistance to people who are trapped in these conflict hotspots. So we join all calls to both parties to the conflict to enable that unfettered access. But beyond that, the conflict needs to end as soon as possible. Do you have people that are uh, seeing this on the ground and like what is actually happening with these supplies that are supposed to get there? And is it true that a lot of the supplies are being raided or taken by the RSF? So what we're seeing on the ground, and especially uh, about six weeks ago, the conflict spread further south of Khartoum into Wad Madani, which is the capital of Jazeera State, Sudan's breadbasket, uh, is that it's becoming ever more difficult to operate in this environment because the space in which we as humanitarians and as WFP have access is shrinking because the fighting is spreading. And then in terms of moving food or any kind of humanitarian assistance, what is most challenging is that it's almost impossible to deliver that assistance across different lines of conflict. Uh, so you can imagine on the eastern side of the country, um, bordering on the Red Sea and then Kafala, River Nile, northern states, Blue Nile state. So you can imagine Sudan as a whole, the eastern part of the country is under control of the Sudan armed forces, whereas different parts of the country are now under control of the rapid support forces. Uh, but moving across those lines of control is nearly impossible uh, because we are not granted the access to do so or the permission to do so, and also because of the security threats that are involved with that, um, especially Khartoum, for example, and, and now what has happened in Wad Madani. Has the WFP been forced to, you know, pull back some of their people out of Sudan because of the danger in some of these spots, like not Port of Sudan, but other areas? Yeah, so in fact, um, after the fighting spread into Wad Madani, we were forced to relocate and temporarily suspend our operations in, in Jazeera State, where in a very short time after the conflict broke out in the middle of April, we had established a humanitarian hub through which we were supporting up to one million people uh, per month. And these were people that had fled from Khartoum. So when the fighting spilled over into that area, we were forced again to relocate and, and our operations there are still suspended as we're trying to negotiate access to go there again. But also it's more so about the security guarantees because now what was previously a safe haven for people who fled, fled the fighting in Sudan's capital has also now become a new front line. 
Are you even operating in Khartoum anymore? So we were able to get assistance through to Khartoum the last time, uh, end of November, beginning of December. But since then, we have not had access because the fighting there is ongoing. And uh, it's, it's very challenging, especially because in Khartoum, the front lines keep changing. And so it's extremely challenging for an aid agency to safely deliver. What kind of food and medicine type of you know, humanitarian aid are you trying to deliver? We're talking about life and death needs. So what kinds of materials are you trying to get at, to the hands of the people? It's emergency food rations that consist of usually cereals, pulses, oil and salt, very, very basic needs to the most hungry people in the country. And currently there are 18 million people across the country, around 37% of the population, that is facing acute hunger. That's Lenny Kenzel, the World Food Program representative on Sudan. She was speaking with my colleague Carol Bandam from Nairobi, Kenya. listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. Coming up, we'll bring you the latest from Thursday's gas fire in Nairobi, Kenya. Stay tuned. listener of South Sudan in focus we have an exciting new segment dubbed words of wisdom we want to hear your thoughtful proverbs that echo through your community this is another chance for you to share wisdom from your roots all you need to do is record a proverb in a language of your choice tell us its English translation and what it means keep it brief authentic and represent your community your recorded proverb shall be sampled on South Sudan in Focus every Wednesday. Send your recording via our WhatsApp number plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That is plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. And our proverb for today is from Ghana. My name is Solomon Abu. I'm from Ghana and I'm from Accra. There's a proverb in my native language, Ga, which says, This means that you don't adjudicate the case of a goat in front of its predator. The moral lesson is that you always take care of the people that you have to protect in front of those who are coming after them before you tell them what they did was wrong. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. A fire caused by a gas explosion late Thursday evening in the Mbakasi neighborhood of the Kenyan capital Nairobi killed two people and injured 222, according to the latest official figures. VOA's Nairobi bureau chief, Mariama Diallo, spoke to one of VOA's stringers who lives near the scene and has this report. Zainab Saidi, a freelance reporter for VOA's Swahili service who lives near where the blast occurred, says she heard the explosion at around 11.30 p.m. Thursday. She had just turned off her computer and switched off her lights, but she was not about to go to sleep because she saw a bright light just outside her window. So I just walked towards the window, drew the curtain, and there was a loud bang. 
just across my window now from to the, the company where they refill the gases and it's also a garage. A lot of activities that usually just go on in that space. It went on for like 25, 30 minutes of just explosive, loud explosives, uh, one after another, one after another. And just going in the sky was just now even, is it red or orange? And no smoke. It was scary. Bangs, loud, loud. At some point, she said she went out to see what was really happening. Everyone in her 32-unit housing estate was out as well. Now the fire had started spreading. Now coming across to the stores that are just right opposite our gate. That is an Impesa shop. There's a shop that that sells bread, milk and everything. And then there's a salon, uh, a fruit vendor. There's a mama who usually sells uh, charcoal. So it's, it's a line of shops, but made of iron sheets. Saidi said she saw a woman coming out of the area in flames and people were running and screaming. At one point, she decided to go back inside her home, but... I just had a loud bang and I was on the floor. And then I just felt heat. So my senses just told me to remove the the hood that I had and the sweatpants. So I just ran to the house with a (laughs) T-shirt. Saidi was able to leave the area and spent the rest of the night with family. But when she woke up in the morning, it was a different story. She says one of her hands and leg were burned, though she's not sure how it happened. The hand is not so severe, but I've been dressed in bandage. But the, the leg is severe. Even walking now, it's limping. In the morning when I woke up, it, it had blisters with water everywhere across. So when I went... They removed the skin, drained the water inside, uh, they did the dressing. So, yeah, it's it's banned. Two people have died and 222 have been injured and rushed to hospitals as well. Government spokesperson Isaac Maura said on the social media platform X, formerly known as Twitter, that the explosion happened at the Mradi area in Nairobi's Mbakasi neighborhood. One truck that was loaded with gas exploded, igniting a huge ball of fire that spread widely. He said the inferno damaged several vehicles and commercial properties. Neighborhood houses also caught fire with a number of residents inside, given it was late at night. The scene has been secured and a command center is now in place to help coordinate rescue operations and other intervention efforts, he said. Mariama Jalu, VOA News, Nairobi. The South African government says Israel is defying the order of the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, to prevent genocide in Gaza. Pretoria says it is now up to the international community to end the violence. The government also says it is experiencing repercussions for its legal action against Israel. Darren Taylor reports. South Africa's Minister of International Relations, Naledi Pandor, said Israel's recent attacks in Gaza, especially on hospitals, totally go against the grain of the International Court of Justice ruling and the Genocide Convention. I believe that the rulings of the court have been ignored by Israel. Hundreds of people have been killed in the last three, four days. And clearly Israel believes it has license to do as it wishes. So the world does have to reflect. What do we do to stop such acts occurring, not just with Israel, but any party uh, in the world? 
The ICJ ruled in late January that Israel must do all it can to prevent civilian deaths and acts of genocide in its war against Hamas militants in Gaza. The court, acting in a case that South Africa filed, did not call for Israel to cease fire immediately, as Pretoria had asked. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu continues to take to social media and other platforms to say his country's military is targeting Hamas fighters, not committing genocide. Israel's commitment to international law is unwavering. Equally unwavering is our sacred commitment to continue to defend our country and defend our people. The vile attempt to deny Israel this fundamental right is blatant discrimination against the Jewish state. But Pandor said Israel had no right to kill tens of thousands of innocent Palestinians as it pursues Hamas. The Gaza Health Ministry says nearly 26,000 people have died in the conflict, most of them civilians. The violence in Gaza was ignited on October 7, when Hamas extremists attacked Israeli settlements. They killed about 1,200 people and took hostages, most of whom it still holds. Pandor said the international community must push to enforce peace and not just monitor peace agreements. I believe South Africa has done what it can and now the global community is the one that must answer the question. Do these conventions mean anything or do we now have a world in which there's open license where you can act as you will against any vulnerable group. She said her government's building an international coalition to create a Palestinian state. But she said since the ICJ rulings, she and other South African officials have been subjected to what she called a coordinated misinformation campaign, saying they support Hamas and are acting on behalf of Iran. She said fake posts on the social media platform X, for example, had portrayed her as calling on Arab states to attack Israel. President Saul Ramaphosa said at a recent African National Congress meeting in Johannesburg that his government expects Israel's supporters to retaliate against South Africa for the ICJ case. He gave no specific examples of that happening, but said it could involve efforts to undermine the ANC in elections later this year. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. As usual, many of you wrote to us this week about news and events we covered in this broadcast. First, we have this voice message. This is Peter Gochanyang Majangdul in Jongle State, South Sudan. The accusation made by some people that South Sudan is supplying their rapid support posts with fuel is baseless and in Italy is to be investigated. This is another way of bringing conflict to the two neighboring countries. It should be discouraged at all. Martin Manuel Wugol in Juba writes, Good evening, or rather good morning, John Tanza and Nabil. As the country prepares for elections, political leaders should begin educating the electorate on the importance of peaceful elections as the best democratic way of choosing leaders to lead people at various levels of government, particularly in local councils in the states for effective self-service delivery to citizens. Thanks. Saber Isaac Hamis in Yambio in Western Equatoria State writes, Hello, VOA South Sudan in Focus. 
I urge all South Sudan peace guarantors to work out modalities on how the situation in Unity State can be diffused. Otherwise, the forces of SSPDF and IO will escalate to an ugly confrontation. It is unfortunate that the process of unifying the forces is very slow because it is one way. It is the only way of unifying the army command. Peter Goj Anyang Majongdul in Block 3 in Bortown writes, Nabil, indigenous grains like millet and sorghum are rich in nutrition, which is why the immune systems of most Africans were strong before we were introduced to ugali and other food items that cause diseases like diabetes and high blood pressure. James Roy Majok from Unity State in Bantu Town writes, Nabil Biadu in Jontanza, I appeal to peace monitors to quickly intervene and investigate the road ambush that triggered the, that targeted the convoy of the Honorable Governor of Unity State, Dr. Joseph Nguyen Montuil, on Monday morning around 11.48 a.m. as the convoy left from Potriac to Mayom County. Peace monitors should investigate who is responsible for violating the permanent ceasefire. Majak Marco Majong from Makwak Payam in Ton North County, Warak State says, I condemn the killing of 17 people, including one UN peacekeeper in Abyei on Saturday, January 27, 2024, between the Dinka Ngok and the Twitch communities. I urge the government of South Sudan to declare a state of emergency across the 10 states plus the three administrative areas so that our people can embrace peace and peaceful coexistence. Mading Malwal Alwong in Malakal Town says, The situation in Abyei is unfortunate, insane, uncalled for, and must be condemned in the strongest terms possible. A serious government would relocate to Abyei rather than summon problematic politicians to Juba. It is time President Kiir relocated his office to Abyei. The people of Abyei don't deserve such suffering and humiliation. My heart bleeds for them. And finally, Thomas Kuntoj in Old Fangak Payam in Fangak County in Jongule State writes, Hello, VOA South Sudan in focus. I appeal to the South Sudan National Health Ministry to review the effectiveness of the first-line treatment of complicated malaria in South Sudan, artisunanate and amodiaquine oral. It appears to be resisting it appears to be resisted by malaria parasites all over South Sudan. The National Health Ministry should send uh, teams to visit all facilities across South Sudan for verification. The views expressed here do not reflect the views of VOA or of this program. We appreciate hearing from all of you. Keep those comments coming. And that's all we have for you this Friday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Gutemiza by Weasel featuring B2C. <laughs> Me love your star, super nice out in the city come nani. This love comes straight to the moon. The moon yeah, I'm starting out with baby.
your name on my face. You're so tempting. Bring them close up, like a smile on my face. Look at the cool of them. Sing my bandicoot formula. Can't send me a confia. One up on your binocular. I'm a student, I could be young. So I'm a subtle, so I'm a Maybe our love is never to rest. We've been listening to the song Gutamiza by Radio and Weasel featuring B2C. I am your host, Nabil Biajo in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Kwame Foreign Engineer Peter Huntley, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Remember to join us again next week for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Yeah. 